Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to be a part of the conversation. If you'd like to join in, we'd love to hear from you. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com slash business. Again, the number is 601-879-4395. A slightly less newsy day than the last two, three, four days have been. Not dead quiet, but um, we did get news, I guess, shortly after we finished, maybe a little later into the evening last night, Borky, from the uh, from the Big 12. And the news is that, as we were talking yesterday, there are a lot of people that saying the, the Big 12 was the linchpin to college football going forward or coming to a complete stop. And it did not come to a complete stop based on what the Big 12 said. You have the SEC and the ACC continuing to try and move forward, and apparently that's what the Big 12 wants to do as well. Yeah, uh, right after 7 o'clock is when the news broke, too, so shortly after we got off the air. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this means the season is going to start because, as we've learned, um, things can change pretty quickly. Yeah. But after that news broke, I, like I looked, I was looking through my phone because that's all I've been able to do for the last few days is just refresh Twitter constantly to see what the new news is going to be. Um, when I saw that break, I swear, I locked my phone, I put it down, and I just sat back in a recliner for for like a half hour. Just this is really nice to not have to worry about something just for a little while. And so the season has been saved for now, and it felt really good last night. Hey, Dale, what was your reaction? Uh, I was pretty excited. I won't lie. I feel like I feel like there, there there's some things going on behind the scenes that we're not all privy to. I and mean, you when you look at the way the SEC and the ACC sort of release statements around the same time, that basically said the same thing yesterday. And then the Big Twelve comes in. I feel like there's some backroom dealing going on that we should feel pretty confident in. I, I think so. And there are stories that are concerning the myocarditis. Uh, I'm not sure I'm saying that exactly right. I, I think I am um, getting all the syllables in there. Um, that That's a concerning story. But if you read a little bit about that condition, then you know it is a condition that can result from other respiratory issues as well, not just COVID-19. And maybe it's a little more common, and it is certainly not a death sentence uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But anytime you're talking about a heart issue, especially with all the unknowns with COVID, that, that's serious. And it's something that is going to be looked at very, very seriously. 
by these leagues and these commissioners and the medical staffs and the presidents and the advisory boards and all those things. So, so that is that is a concern that is still out there. There's another concern that's out there, and that's one that we'll get into a little bit later this afternoon. Um, a, a guy whose name became prominent in the state of Mississippi uh, a few years back, I guess three years ago, and really has not completely gotten away from the spotlight, Tom Mars. With uh, quotes to Pat Forty, I'm shocked, I, and I know you are as well, uh, that uh, Pat Forty would provide a ready and willing uh, platform to publish anything that Tom Mars wants to say. But the bigger issue is liability, right? Uh, I mean, that's something that people are going to continue to be concerned about. Presidents and commissioners, but especially presidents of universities, are going to concern themselves with potential liability issues that are out there. But if you want to just bask in the good news for a little while, then maybe this is where we start. The Big 12 Board of Directors last night agreed to proceed with plans for fall sports seasons. Here's the quote from the uh, Board of Directors Chairman, TCU Chancellor Victor Boschini. The board continues to believe that the health and well-being of our student-athletes must guide all decisions. To that end, the board has consistently relied on the advice and counsel of top medical experts to determine the viability of available options. Our student-athletes want to compete, and it is the board's collective opinion that sports can be conducted safely and in concert with the best interests of their well-being. We remain vigilant in monitoring the trends and effects of COVID-19 as we learn more about the virus. If at any point our scientists and doctors conclude that our institutions cannot provide a safe and appropriate environment for our uh, participants, we will change course. Uh, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, said the virus continues to evolve and medical professionals are learning more with each passing week. Opinions vary regarding the best path forward, as we've seen throughout higher education and our society overall. But we are comfortable in our institution's ability to provide a structured training environment, rigorous testing and surveillance, hospital-quality sanitation and mitigation practices that optimize the health and safety of our student-athletes. We believe all of this combines to create an ideal learning and training situation during this time of COVID-19, Ultimately, our student-athletes have indicated their desire to compete in the sports they love this season, and it is up to all of us to deliver a safe, medically sound, and structured academic and athletic environment for accomplishing that outcome. Yeah, but wait, hold hold on. They they consulted medical people, but not the ones that confirm my biases, Richard, so they're wrong. Well... We talked some about this yesterday, right? I mean, we we, we do... Yeah, there was just more rounds of this last night. Yeah. I mean, we, we do search out opinions that are grounded in what we want the answer to be. And sometimes those opinions vary, even within the medical community and the scientific community. I mean, you can only get four out of five dentists to approve Trident. So, I mean, three out of five <laughs> doctors on this one feels pretty good. But that's the thing. See, the difference between us and the sports writers that we're referencing, like one, and he's a clown anyway, but Darren Rovell last night said that the ACC and the SEC's doctors are politically driven because the infectious disease specialist at Duke University wants football to go on because make America great again, because uh, that's logical. Uh, but the, the difference between us and, and Dan Wolkin and Stuart Mandel and these sports writers are we're not going after the Pac-12 doctors for saying, guys, we can't do it. That's the difference. 
we're not saying they're wrong. They're they're just their opinion is different than the the people that are leading the conference that we happen to cover so closely. It doesn't mean the Pac-12 doctors are misinformed. Doesn't mean they're politically driven. Doesn't mean they're wrong. It means they're human beings, incredibly qualified, very smart human beings looked at what is an extremely new virus that is in the United States, five months old, and came to a slightly different conclusion than one of their peers across the country who is also supremely qualified to make difficult decisions. That's the difference between us and them. We get it. We understand that they're humans that are making tough calls. They think if they don't make the call that I agree with, they're wrong or politically driven. There's your difference. It is... A little disappointing. Maybe even a lot disappointing. That this is a red state, blue state issue. Isn't it? Of course, as with all things. But it's uh, shameful. So, so looking at the electoral map from the 2016 election. In terms of the SEC footprint. Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina. Every single one of them a red state. Now, the ACC is a little bit different. They've got teams in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky. All of those are red states. But they've got two teams in the state of Virginia, blue state, and Massachusetts, where Boston College is, Blue State, Syracuse, and New York, Blue State. So it's a little bit divided there. When you look at the Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, those were all red states in the 2016 election. Then when you want to look at the Pac-12 footprint, you're talking about Washington, Oregon, California. Those were all blue states. Colorado was a blue state. Arizona was a red state. And and so and, and then when you you talk about the Big Ten, okay, Illinois, Minnesota were blue states, but the rest were red in the uh, in the Big Ten footprint. Well, most of the rest were red in the Big Ten footprint. New York was not, New Jersey was not. But you kind of understand what I'm saying is you, you would like to think that this is an issue that's based on the best medical advice and the best scientific advice available, and yet. The conferences that are comprised of more blue states and the medical professionals in those areas are saying, nah, I probably can't play. And the doctors and the scientists that are advising the conferences that make up red states, yeah, we think you can play. Is that just a coincidence? Mm. I'm not saying that it's politically driven, but I'm saying that it might be politically driven to some degree. Which is sad, right? I mean, it should just be on the best available medical advice, period. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout and be back. Good to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Bill Bender from the Sporting News will join us to begin the 5 o'clock hour today. Look forward to talking with him on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Braves were in action yesterday against the uh, New York Yankees. 
That game started just as we finished up uh, yesterday, and the uh, Yankees won the game nine to six. Braves have, have kind of been bitten by the injury bug, uh, especially in their rotation, and pitching's been a bit of an issue. You look at standings right now, and it's kind of weird looking at the standings because you have such a variance in the number of games that have played have been played in the um, in the the American League East. Yankees have played 17 games. They lead the division at 11 and 6 in front of Tampa Bay, who's played 18 games. Baltimore's gotten 15 in. Toronto's played 14, and the Red Sox have played 17. In the National League Central, I'm sorry, the American League Central, Twins lead the division over Detroit. Cleveland's a game back. That one's pretty tight all the way through. The Oakland Athletics are leading the American League West. At 12 and 6, four games clear of the Rangers, four and a half clear of the Astros. Angels and Mariners are struggling. And all the teams, so pretty much all the teams in the American League have, have gotten in a decent number of games between 14 and 18 games. A little bit different story, though, in the National League. Miami Marlins, by the way, still leading the National League East at 7 and 4. They played only 11 games compared to 19 for the Braves. 13 for the Nationals, 12 for the Phillies, and then 18 for the Mets. And then you've got the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 2-3 and three on the year. you got a bunch of teams that have played 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 games. The St. Louis Cardinals have played five games. you got the Cubs leading the division. They are in front of the Reds. Brewers, those are both four and a half back. And then you've got the Cardinals at 2-3. and three. And then out west in the National League, pretty much everybody has played, you know, about the same number of games in the, you know, 16 to 18 range. Is St. Louis ever going to be able to play baseball again? They'll need five more wins for bowl eligibility. <laughs> it's crazy. So what do they do though? I mean, they're they're just determining postseason by win percentage at this point. But are they are they going to just play a string of seven inning double headers? I think they're going to have to play. What it says. Say what, Hayden? From what they've been saying, yeah, that seems like what's going to happen. They're going to at the end of the season have a a week where they play fourteen games. And Pittsburgh and St. Louis postponed again today. And it looked like the Cardinals, I mentioned this, what was it, Wednesday of last week, looked like the Cardinals were going to be back. They practiced as a team, and then they had somebody else test positive. And so they kind of had to start the whole quarantine process over and trying to figure out who can be healthy. You know, it's different, though, with the Cardinals than it was with the Marlins. They went through the mess, had to send a bunch of guys down, bring a bunch of guys up, and, and get started again. But St. Louis thought they were in the clear, kind of move forward with getting everybody back together and practicing again. But then you've got the exposure because you have another guy test positive. It's a mess in St. Louis. And I, I honestly have not read a ton about the Cardinals and you know what the anticipated return is. Kind of correct. Have you guys lost interest in Major League Baseball? You know, the Giants are a little better than I thought they would be, so I actually have, have kept some interest. So, Yeah. And that's all it is for me. For me, baseball is about my favorite team. E- even in a regular season, if we were playing 162 games and we were, you know, 
I guess, you know, four months or whatever, five months into the season. And if the Giants are in the pennant race, I'm, I'm paying attention. But if they're 20 games out, eh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't really care. Does the fact that we're going to 16 playoff teams, eight from each well, league, yeah. I mean, that gives you reason yeah. to hang around longer as a fan, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, right Right now the Giants are in the playoff mix a little bit. You know, they they got to get a little better defensively and you know, find a little pop in the bats, but they're there. You know, if something do, do goes you shut it down? Way. I mean, do, do you re-engage for the playoffs regardless of whether or not the Giants are in it? No, no. I remember you remember a couple of years ago or last year, or, well, two years ago when the Dodgers were in it. I didn't watch an inning of that when they when they were in the World Series. I just, I just I don't want to watch. You're a little interesting though, Hey Dad, in your your hatred for a rival makes you shut it down. Well, no, but I didn't watch. I watched a couple innings. I was at somebody's house and watched a few innings of the World Series last year. But I, I don't go out of my way to watch playoff baseball if the Giants aren't in it. So, so you're just overall love for baseball is less. Like, yeah, I mean, MLB, you, you would still watch is, an Ole Miss game. Oh, I was just going to say you would watch an Ole Miss game so that you could cheer for the opponent. Like for in college Where, football. Yeah, in terms of college, oh, but, I'll, but you I'll, just I'll, love college even, football. Yeah, I'll watch any college football game. MLB is down my list. Yeah. Like right now I'm watching soccer. I'll watch a random soccer game, but I won't watch a random baseball game. Yeah. Meanwhile, I've got Colorado, Arizona up there in the bottom of the fourth inning, and it's four to two, and it's beautiful in Denver. <laughs> the Sunshine but, State. Have you gotten used to the no fan thing? It hasn't bothered me. See, yeah, at I've, first I've totally the because I'm. You know, I'm an NBA guy. You're a baseball guy. At first, the NBA thing was weird. Now I don't even notice it anymore. The PGA Championship, yeah, there was times where I was like, "Man, this is a big shot or a big putt," and there's no roar. But it's almost like it's an afterthought already for me. Like it's normal. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not paying attention to it. I'm just watching the field. Kind of interesting looking at the. Um, I'm jumping subjects here. I check in daily with the Mississippi Department of Health, kind of the new numbers each day. And I guess middle of the week is generally when you have higher numbers, but we had been trending in the right direction. Okay, so Sunday you had 476 new cases that were reported, and Monday it was 644, and so reporting a day later. So the numbers we got on Monday were for Sunday, 476. Tuesday's numbers were for Monday, 644. But today's numbers, you get a spike, which would have been for yesterday, 1,081 new cases. That was disappointing. I, I thought, okay, if we can be in that you know six to 800 range and kind of stay there, so I'll be interested to see tomorrow what the numbers for today were and kind of trending toward the weekend. You, you hope it's a blip and not a return to back around 1,000. Yeah. Rolling average, seven-day average, needs to continue to go down. So, And it has a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, yeah. The, the rolling seven-day average has been much better in Mississippi, and I guess that's what you're looking at is that, that rolling seven-day number. Um, and, you know, the, the numbers from a week ago at this time compared to what they are right now, but um, – that graph that has been starting to trend down pops back up a little bit today. You would hope 
that some of the new protocols that are in place for Mississippi and have been in place for a couple of weeks are, are starting to work, though, and that it is a blip or maybe a couple-of-day blip, and, and you, you pop back up again. So we'll see. Um, ceasefire text line open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. We got the um, Richard No College Football this season text message again. I finally responded to that. I said, look, I get what you want. You may get it. You may not. You made your point loud and clear over and over, and you can have a front yard tailgate party to celebrate if you're right and there's no college football season. To which he says, I don't want to be right. I'm a college fan. I just like to be real. Let's hope I'm wrong. Okay. And and look, I mean, maybe maybe that's a flaw for me. And if it is, so be it. And if we end up without college football, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for a job. I'm thankful for a lot of things in my life. I'll be incredibly disappointed. I will be sad if we don't get college football. I just will be. But until we know for sure that we're not getting college football, I just choose to hold out hope. And it's kind of the way that I look at life in general. Doesn't mean you don't plan for rocky days and rough days, whatnot. William says testing is 10 to 14 days behind. Those numbers you are seeing are likely from tests from almost two weeks ago. That's from William and Madison. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Jason says deaths in both Mississippi and Arizona, where he lives, have been about half what they were two weeks ago. Hospitalizations, ICU capacity, and patients on ventilators are all down as well. And he says that's encouraging. I agree. We just need to see those numbers continue to go down. Hopefully in two weeks from now we'll look up and they're half again. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. good friend known for a really long time who has a medical family his dad is long considered one of the most respected physicians in mississippi um and he's got a brother that is a a doctor in jackson as well and he sent me a message william sent us the the text a few minutes ago that said you know keeping an eye on the seven day rolling average is more important because testing is generally speaking 10 to 14 days behind and my buddy sent me this message said i agree with william he said according to the doctors in my family that's true or at least mostly true he goes on to say the immediate test tells you that day so it gets on the list within a day or two the longer term tests take up to 14 days he says problem is that one day there may have been a ton of immediate tests, and the next day only 20 or so. And that's why the seven-day rolling average is a better number to keep an eye on. So just a little something to think about when in terms of looking at the daily results of positive COVID tests in Mississippi. Good information there. Uh, all right, something I don't say very often, but I, I am willing to 
look at things with um, non-political eyes, and sometimes even people that I'm not big fans of in terms of their writing style or the way they go about their job, uh, sometimes they still put out good work. And I think this is pretty good work from Dan Wolken. Uh, You know he's the college football columnist at, uh, at USA Today. And the headline for this article is, it's an opinion piece. He says, Nebraska bailing out on the Big Ten may be more than bluster. So we talked yesterday about the fact that there was a joint statement from the chancellor at the University of Nebraska, the university system president, the athletic director, Bill Moose, and Scott Frost, the, uh, the head coach. And basically it said, we're going to pursue every avenue possible to play a season this year. And Dan writes, the university-wide tantrum at Nebraska following the Big Ten's announcement to shut down fall sports isn't merely performative red meat being thrown to the base. He says, as of Wednesday, so earlier today, according to a person with knowledge of the situation who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the matter, said the Cornhuskers were analyzing whether it's possible to cobble together a fall season in defiance of the Big Ten's collective decision. Now, he goes on to say, despite Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren telling Yahoo Sports last night that Nebraska could not play and continue to be a member of the Big Ten, the person with knowledge said that there is alignment between the athletic administration, the chancellor, and the governor in Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, on a belief that the school could not only play a season safely, but do so with fans in the stands. And Wilkin writes that Nebraska may not be alone. Its viewpoint was bolstered yesterday when Ohio State coach Ryan Day talked vaguely on a conference call about pursuing all options while also giving deference to the Big Ten's decision. And the key is whether or not there is something in the Big Ten's bylaws bylaws, which, by the way, are not public, that would specifically prohibit Nebraska or others from pursuing games in other circumstances or in another league because of these circumstances. To me, the most interesting part of the story, though, is when Dan talks about the fact that even if the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 power forward, as they are publicly saying they are going to try to do, you could have individual programs within those conferences that opt out. I mean, could could Vanderbilt potentially opt out of a season in the SEC? Could somebody else? Could Kansas or Kansas State or you know some other school that's part of the Big Twelve opt out and say just not going to work for us? Could in the ACC? Um. Could, could Syracuse or Boston College say it's just not tenable for us where we are to play a season this year? That could happen. Already happened in Conference USA, right? With, With Old, Old Dominion. Dominion opting out, despite the conference saying they were going to go forward. Right. And so the point he's making is that while... Nebraska putting together a schedule against independents like BYU and New Mexico State and maybe some teams from Conference USA or the American might not really be the season they want to play. Maybe they just kind of take their time 
And if a school opts out of the Big 12 or the SEC or the ACC, maybe they could put together a schedule with teams that would be interesting to their fans and would kind of make for a legitimate season. That's fascinating to me. But ultimately, it comes down to whether or not they could do that. He also points out that Nebraska hasn't exactly pulled its weight in the Big Ten since becoming a conference member in 2010, and that maybe the Big Ten wouldn't necessarily shed a ton of tears if Nebraska decided to go back to the Big 12. Not a huge TV market. Big fan base, but not, not bringing a whole ton of TV eyes to it. Yeah. He says, whether entire league shutdown, of course, will be determined by how many school presidents decide that they just can't make it work this fall. And he says that's a dynamic that will be heavily influenced by the rate of COVID-19 spread on their campuses in the coming weeks as regular students move in and begin classes. Classes are scheduled to begin at Ole Miss next Monday, I believe it is. Or maybe it's a week from Monday. The Yeah, a week from Monday, the 24th. Does Mississippi State start this coming week? Hey, Dad, is that I right? I believe State starts Monday the 17th. Monday the 17th. Which is par for the course, right? For whatever reason, State always starts a week ahead or so. Of Ole they Miss. usually start a week before Ole Miss, and they finish a week before. Yeah. Or a few days before. Yeah. For, for what? And, and Mississippi State generally goes back to school earlier for the start of the spring semester than Ole Miss does yeah. because Ole Miss does the intercession deal, which is, you know, it's a way that a lot of universities have chosen to ring the cash register and kind of get a, an extra revenue bump. So it's um, this is fascinating. He, he concludes, or, or you know, part of the conclusion is depending on what the lawyers say, could Nebraska or some other rogue Big Ten school make themselves available? He also points out, and, and this is something to me that a, a number of people have pointed out, not just Dan Wolken, that you had. Larry Scott from the Pac-12, who came off pretty strong yesterday. He had a a, a very um, matter-of-fact press conference, and they had that 12-page medical document to say, look, this is the decision we are making, and here is why. And they used the medical document from their medical team to say, this is why we're making the, deci- the decision that we're making. But Kevin Warren, the new Big Ten commissioner, Wolken writes, did no favors for himself in trying to explain the league's decision to shut down. While it took a high level of conviction for the Big Ten to cancel fall sports while the other power leagues were trying to justify reasons to play, he came off as evasive and not particularly strong in an interview with the Big Ten network. He didn't answer the direct questions that Dave Revson asked him in that public setting. And to his credit, Larry Scott did. I'm not sure what exactly that says about Kevin Warren and his leadership abilities when being compared side-by-side to Larry Scott, of all people, (laughs) who yesterday Paul Feinbaum said has been the laughing stock of college athletics for the last several years, comes off much, much better than Kevin Warren did. And What's going to happen? Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, just to add, Ryan Day today said that they have not had any communication whatsoever from the conference office about how to proceed. That like they're they're told they're going to have spring football. So when do you anticipate starting? Do I get my team ready? What do I do? He has not heard 
from anybody from the Big Ten about any kind of what's next. What's going to be the narrative on Kevin Warren when the SEC plays and his son is playing for Mississippi State? He was asked about that yesterday, and he said they were going to have some difficult family decisions to make. So he's going to, and, and he he said he believed in the decisions that the Big Ten was making in conjunction with its medical people, and there would be some hard family decisions. I mean, it's like one of those things you you talk about. Normally, it's what's good enough for my kid. It's not, but it's it's good enough for their kids, but not for my kid. It's going to be the other way around on this one. It's good for other people's kids, but my kid can go play. Or maybe he opts out. Possible. Ryan Day did a, uh, a press conference today and had some interesting things to say to reporters on the day after the Big Ten postponed football season. We will uh, we'll tell you what he said when we continue. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon. I really wish we had a name to associate with this text message because it genuinely made me laugh. I'll just tell you it's somebody that comes from the 601 in terms of their phone number. Here's the text. How can we have college football without the Big Ten and Pac-12? One of those conferences has had a team in every championship game since 1998. With the exception of 1998-99-2000-2001-03-08-10-11-12-13-15-16-17-18-19. Eight seven nine four three nine five. So Ohio State coach Ryan Day on a uh, conference call today said he is exploring ways to get his football team on the field as quickly as possible, including a spring season that begins in early January and wraps up before the NFL draft in late April. Speaking to reporters earlier today, Day said the planning process for a spring season must begin immediately and thinks the Big Ten could play beginning in early January with an eight- or nine-game schedule and even with postseason play end before the NFL draft. Day's plan would allow NFL prospects such as quarterback Justin Fields to play the season in college. He also wants incoming recruits who enroll mid-year to be eligible for a spring 2021 season. By the way, whether you agree or disagree with Jason, uh, with Jason Day, Ryan Day, he is bringing up really important questions, and I'm glad that he's the one asking them because when we ask them out loud or you ask them out loud or send them to us on the text message or interview guests wonder aloud about this, they go nowhere. So my hope is that when somebody like Ryan Day who is the coach of a team that has a chance or had a chance to win a national championship this year, says, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Maybe somebody, NCAA, Big Ten, or otherwise, will actually give some answers. They said, we're still exploring all those options. 
He talked to Gene Smith earlier this morning about any possibilities of playing a fall season. Smith confirmed to ESPN on Tuesday that Ohio State would not pursue playing in another league this fall. They did say, though, we're still exploring all those options. This thing is moving, it's changing, and we're looking at everything, I promise you that. And later said some of the things Nebraska has asked about are things we continually ask about as well. We play non-conference games year in and year out. So in this unique situation, we're just trying to find out what exactly the conference's stance is on this, what it means with TV contracts and everything else. We're asking all those questions. They reiterated, and we pointed this out yesterday, and I think it's worth pointing out again, the Big Ten is a conference that has operated in lockstep. Everybody marching to the beat of the exact same drummer. And yet in this particular instance, you have multiple schools and multiple coaches and multiple administrations who are coming out and they're saying, we disagree. This wasn't it. They reiterated today that Ohio State's preference was to wait until late September and attempt to play a fall season. He said, I'm very, very proud of what we did here. Our people felt strong about it's not a bubble, but it's close to it here that we created for our guys. It was a lot of hard work put into it. Ryan Day said his main focus is the spring season, which he admitted was not a focal point until the Big Ten made its decision yesterday to postpone the fall. And he says a plan for the spring has got to be fast. He says, what is fast? It's got to be weeks. It can't be months. we got to start it as soon as we can. I'm sure there will be a lot of back and forth here, but starting the first week of January would be the best week to go, an eight-week season. That way there's some separation between that season and the next season. We get some mid-year guys to come in and possibly play a two-for-one. They get two seasons in one calendar year, which I think the recruits would be really excited about. That's the focus right now. Wouldn't it have just made hmm. more sense? What Shouldn't the Big Ten have come out yesterday and be like, we're postponing to spring, here's our preliminary plan for that? The fact that they didn't put anything on paper, the fact that they don't have any idea of when they want to start practice, how that's going to affect eligibility, recruiting, none of those things. That's what makes me believe they're just kicking a can down the road and we'll see them in the fall of 2021. The two-for-one thing seems like they're posturing for a recruiting advantage. I don't disagree with that at all, but do you blame them? Oh, I don't blame them. Do what you got to do to try to win. They got to have but, some sort of recruiting edge. They're not going to be playing this fall. But if I'm Greg Sankey, I'm calling the uh, NCAA and saying, um, if that's the case, my players in the fall are getting a two for one as well. If you play two seasons, that's two seasons. I don't care when they happen. Which is, I think, the reason you're going to see more people go. We got to just give everybody an extra year. But goodness gracious, we talked some about this with Cole. I mean, you want to talk about the unintended consequences that come from that? That was Cole pointing out yesterday. We could still be sorting this out in 2024. Sports Talk Mississippi, you want to be part of the show? Ceasefire text line is open. Good way for you to jump in and be a part of the conversation. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. 
No Bull, cspire.com. The number, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. The Gulf South Conference is done for the fall. That's a bummer. Delta State is obviously part of the Gulf South Conference. rest of that league is Alabama-Huntsville, Auburn-Montgomery, Christian Brothers in Memphis, Lee University, which is in Cleveland, Tennessee, Mississippi College, University of Montevallo in Alabama, Shorter University in Rome, Georgia, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, Valdosta State, West Alabama, West Florida, and West Georgia. So those are the full-time conference members, and Delta State and Mississippi College, certainly teams that are on our radar here in Mississippi. So they have shut it down for the fall. We'll postpone competition in basketball, football, soccer, and volleyball until at least January 1st. In their release, it says these sports are identified as high-contact risk sports by the NCAA and are subject to significant testing requirements for all student-athletes and inner-bubble personnel. Three significant factors helps the board of directors in determining the course of action to shut everything down until January 1st. Number one, health and safety of student-athletes and campus communities. Number two, mandated participation protocols from the NCAA Board of Governors, most notably the requirements related to re-socialization of collegiate sport, developing standards for practice and competition, and number three, NCAA Division II Fall Championships cancellation. So, reading between the lines, health and safety, obviously, but it's the cost associated with going forward with no championships to play for. Yeah, that's kind of the thing here, which is what makes the two Power Five leagues' decision to just outright cancel kind of interesting because it's always been about money, not so much whether or not you can make it, but whether or not you could afford to do what it takes to put it on. Uh, the testing and all that stuff and the altering of your locker rooms and everything is really expensive. Yeah. And if you are a Gulf South Conference football program, you can't afford what Ole Miss and Mississippi State can afford. And that's – I'm surprised that you're seeing even the Conference USA and AAC and Sunbelt continue to push on because it's going to be a financial strain for, for them to do it, even though they're Division One and their buy games have largely been taken away from them. And I see a story either earlier this week or over the weekend. I think it was from the Daily Journal – Forgive me if that's not the right outlet. That said Ole Miss and Mississippi State were both spending in the neighborhood of $600,000 on all of the testing protocols. Does you guys see yeah. that over the weekend? I don't know if I don't know the, the the source, but I did see that that number, yes. Doesn't surprise me in the least, especially now yeah. that they've added uh, at least the Big 12 has added a couple of different screens on top of the already uh, agreed upon testing, uh, heart disease and stuff like that that they've added to their protocols, increasing the expense even more. With regard to the Gulf South, cross-country and golf will be permitted during the fall semester. 
with the Gulf South Conference cross-country championship date potentially moved to better accommodate the calendar. Those are designated as low-contact risk and medium-contact risk sports, and so they feature more manageable testing and monitoring requirements per the NCAA. All practice, strength and conditioning, team meetings, and other countable athletic-related activities are subject to NCAA rules. In football, soccer, and volleyball, the conference will evaluate options for spring competition that provide meaningful competition for these student-athletes. They say a spring season may not feature the use of traditional formats for regular season play or tournaments. And as it pertains to basketball, the Gulf South Conference will work over the next several weeks to outline a calendar for this year's basketball schedule and tournament. The conference will work through the NCAA governance process to advocate for additional weeks of competition in the spring semester. There's no change in the spring sport competition calendar at, uh, at this time. So, I mean, look, we, we talk all the time about the SEC and the other Power Five conferences and talk about Southern Miss and, you know, the challenges they're facing at Conference USA. But we know that, you know, Delta State in particular, but not to exclude Mississippi College, has, although it's, it's smaller, it is an incredibly proud and passionate fan base. They love their football team. They love, in particular, the women's basketball program at Delta State, one of the most successful kind of over the course of time at the Division II level, and love their baseball at Delta State, and wildly successful at Delta State in both football and in baseball. And so this is a really tough pill to swallow for the folks in Cleveland, for the fans of Delta State. It's a hard, hard deal to go through. The Masters is scheduled to be played the week of November 9th through the 15th, and it will look like a Masters unlike any we have ever seen before. Borky, I know you have this in the rundown. I mentioned a while back, like a way while back, a year ago, or shortly thereafter, I finally won the lottery. I had practice round tickets for this year, for Wednesday, par three contest day, no less. So I was bummed out when they... They banged it in the spring. But then I thought, Fall Masters, that'll be really cool. That'll be a fun trip. And now they've banged it for fans in the fall. And so hopefully we'll get to use those tickets next year. (laughs) I don't know if that feels like I won the lottery three times and get to celebrate three different times or, no, it's just once. Uh, At least you're getting it back and it's not a reshuffle. You know what I mean? I mean, you get an opportunity to go, but... That's the only thing I was looking for in that email. When that email came today, I was like, hold on, hold on. Surely they're going to let the people that finally won in the lottery for 2020 to just use those. They said yes. (laughs) Everybody that won tickets in 2020 in the lottery will be eligible for their exact same tickets in 2021. That means I've got a collector's item now also. Yeah, that's true. Clean up your verbiage, though. They're not without fans on this. Patrons... There you go. Thank you. One of the the biggest things about the Masters is the roars through the pines, right? And and Mm -hmm. being there and getting to hear that is surreal. However, the aesthetics of that tournament in the fall, so you've got brown and yellow and orange leaves everywhere on what will be an absolutely perfectly manicured golf course without anybody there, 
is going to be really cool to watch. It really will be a tradition unlike any other this year. Yeah. You know, they'll have the they'll have the, the platforms for the cameras in place. But they hide those well there. Oh, they do. They do. I mean, everything there's painted green. They just kind of blend in with the surroundings. But I assume that there will be no grandstands. No. I mean, th- think about watching shots, and, and not that there are a bunch of grandstands. There are no grandstands on 16 around the green. But when you watch 16, what you expect to see is 14 rows deep people just shoulder to shoulder wrapped all the way around the, the left side of that green into the back, kind of on the, just on the other side of the water. And you won't get that. You know, the, I guess back behind 15 green, that set of grandstands where you can see, you know, the tee shots coming down the hill on 15, 15 green, and then the tee shot on 16, those will be gone, which is kind of crazy. But I, I don't think it's going to take anything away from the Masters. 18 is going to look different. That narrow shoot off the tee box where you got to hit it between the pine trees trying to get it up there to the right of the bunker and leave yourself, you know, how far do those guys have in on, on 18? 160, 180. Yeah. And the tee box that they play from is about 40 or 50 yards back from the members' tees. And so it's a, it's a longer shot they've got to hit through the shoot, and they're not getting it all the way up the hill. But one of the scenes that you get is all the people lined up alongside 18T. All you're going to see is pine trees. All you're going to see is that little narrow hallway you got to hit it through. It's going to look different. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Uh, about uh, oh, 40 or so minutes, 45 minutes from right now, we will be joined by our good friend from the Sporting News, Bill Bender. Bill's in Columbus, Ohio. I, I am fascinated to hear what he's got to say about local reaction to the Big Ten shutting it down. And Bill's the guy that's Bill's pretty measured. Yeah. Probably not swell, though. Probably not swell. It's an SEC state in the north. I know, like, they wear jerseys to games and stuff, and people make fun of them for, for doing that. But I have family there, and I've been to a couple of games there because of that. The entire state, that's all you see everywhere. Everywhere it consumes the place. No matter what part of the state you're in, it's everywhere. Just like you would see in Alabama or otherwise, or Louisiana. Very much like Louisiana, actually. Best comparison. Um, and it's a state that is really rural outside of its big cities. There is no difference. Like even when you're driving, the way everything looks between Ohio and Mississippi, unless you're in one of the cities, you're driving through the Mississippi Delta. It feels like you're in Ohio, and vice versa. Until you hit Cincinnati or Columbus or Cleveland. Very similar places. And Ohio State is 
it there. So it's devastating statewide. You said something that made me think. Which SEC fan base has the most fans that wear jerseys to games? This isn't even close. LSU. I think you're right. I feel I'm right. You, you, you can go to Tiger Stadium and see a good old Herb Tyler number 14 anytime you want to. That's right. You're, you're right. But wouldn't the other two possibilities be Florida and Tennessee? Florida, Tennessee. A lot of Tebow jerseys at Florida. Yeah, a lot gonna, of Tebow jerseys. Got a lot. Uh, Tennessee, a lot of Peyton Manning the, jerseys. I've only been there the one time. It was last year, and I didn't. I didn't notice a disproportionate disproportionate amount of jerseys. You know, resounding no at Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Yeah, not a ton of jerseys there. Not many. Although there's been a trend a little bit where, like, college age girls have started wearing jerseys. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm on board with that. Um. Kentucky, nah, really? South Carolina, I had no idea. Kinda. Uh, it's more than what you would see around here, for sure. It's kind of a new thing. Younger people are starting to wear jerseys, man. Uh, uh, all kinds. Like, you go out to the bar. When I was in school, you didn't see that, really. Not often. Now, it's like every dude's got some throwback, like Vancouver Grizzlies jersey on or something. Players that they... It weren't, weren't even alive to watch play, and they're rocking their jersey out at the bar. It's a different thing now. That big country Bryant Reeves jersey and the old light blue Vancouver Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's such an awesome jersey, too. I'm glad the, the today's Grizzlies are wearing that. But It, it was funny. I mean, Texas A&M, after all of the... The licensing and stuff like that. I saw somebody do all the breakdown of what Johnny Manziel would have gotten from jersey sales in one season. It would have been like forty grand, which that's a lot of money for a college kid. But if mm-hmm. you think about how popular Johnny football was, jerseys just don't really sell in college football land like they do in the NFL. So some writer broke down all the what the jersey cost, how many they sold uh, with his number. Of course, didn't have his name on the back and what they would have to pay in licensing and stuff like that, and the typical cut that an NFL player gets would have netted him about forty grand. What is the cut for an NFL player on jersey sales? Let me Google that for you because I have no idea. I mean, it's probably like two, three, four percent of a retail sale. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You know what the Big 12 did that I wish the SEC would do? Release a schedule with dates on it. It's exactly what the Big 12 did this morning after announcing last night that they were going to proceed. Uh, Some notable games. Well, let's just start with Texas. Kind of the biggest brand. They will open with Texas Tech on September 26th, play TCU in Week 2, and then they will play Oklahoma, assumedly at the Cotton, at Cotton Bowl Stadium, with or without fans, on October 10th. Then have an open date. Then they will play three more games and have an open date. Baylor, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. 
and then they will finish after their open date with Oklahoma State and Kansas. Now, every team gets a minimum of two bye dates and potentially a third bye later in the season. And they have the 9 plus 1 schedule model, but any non-conference game must be completed before Saturday, September the 26th, as it stands right now. Oklahoma opens with Kansas State, then they play Iowa State, then Texas. Open date, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas. Open date, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Baylor. Anybody else you care about? I do find it interesting that that's yet another league that didn't care about traditional rivalry dates. I was given some insight as to why. And I think you are not, when the SEC releases its schedule, I am led to believe that you will not see the Egg Bowl as the last game of the regular season. I don't think you are going to see the Iron Bowl as the last game of the regular season. And it's not because the league wants to spit in the face of tradition. It is because of the possibilities of having a COVID outbreak and having teams have to have a 14-day quarantine period. So the idea being and this really affects probably Alabama-Auburn more than Ole Miss-Mississippi State, what if you play the Iron Bowl the last week of the regular season? You test on Sunday after the game, and you get some positive tests back, and now potentially Alabama, or it could be Auburn, but let's just say Alabama, has 14 players that can't play in the SEC championship game. Well, if you play that game a couple of weeks earlier, then maybe you're not dealing with the exact same issue. It's kind of the way it was explained to me. Playing it earlier, playing those really important games, whether it's a rivalry game or not, playing what are deemed to be really important games earlier in the season gives you a better chance of, one, being able to play those games or have an option to make them up, and two, not having a potential league champion unable to play in the SEC championship game because they had an outbreak. I don't know if I described that or explained that very well. But I guess it kind of makes sense. I'm, I'm confused, though. If Isn't every week a threat of an outbreak, though? So yeah, is it, it is. just I, I mean, being I think the, it's the last... second piece? I, I think it's the second piece more than the first. And that's why I said I'm not sure I explained that well. Yeah, that makes the idea sense. That, that, the idea is there's some really important games to teams and fans and the conference and everything else. And if you schedule them earlier in the season, then you have a better chance of either being able to play them as scheduled or having a potential makeup date where you can make those up. Whereas if you wait to the very end, you might not be able to make them up if for some reason you have to miss them. That makes I sense. really feel like, since I don't know how what we're going to do playoffs and bowls and all that, that that SEC championship game is the most fluid date on the schedule. That I would agree the SEC is going to do everything they can to get these these games in, and if they have to play the SEC championship game on New Year's Day, they'll do it. Just but they, they're going to get their games in, and and the Iron Bowl is definitely a high priority game that 
they have to cancel it wherever it's canceled, they'll let them quarantine and come back to play it wherever they want to. If So if every league that is scheduled to play right now actually plays, and every bowl game is committed to putting their game on, there's only like seven teams that wouldn't make a bowl game this year. <laughs> Sorry, Vandy. Sorry, Arkansas. You're still out. <laughs> State's going to the Fiesta Bowl at 5-5. Five and 1-9 five. and nine Vanderbilt. Welcome to the Liberty Bowl. Hey. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout, and we'll continue on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi. 601-879-4395. That is the number for the C Spire text line. Had a bunch of... Um, Bunch of messages here. Sid says a fall Masters will be gorgeous. There isn't a comparison to the Azaleas in the spring. The only place I've ever been that is actually more impressive in person than on television. I I think everybody agrees that it's going to be different. But different's always not bad. No, especially now. At this point, just embrace the different. We'll never get stuff like this again. Knock Careful. on wood. Uh, okay, cross your fingers on that one. Knock some wood. The odds say we won't get stuff like this again, so just embrace it, man. I, the thing I'm going to miss, though, is uh, after you go there, Richard, I'm sure you've noticed these guys, too. The guys that work for the club but they or, or work for the uh, the tournament, but they kind of blend in with everybody, but they've got those long like trash pickup stick things with the handles on them. And if anything falls to the ground, like regular trash, they'll go pick that up as well. But they do it for pine cones. I, we were, my dad and I were sitting on seven, literally sitting down underneath a tree on seven, and a pine cone falls, and this guy, he doesn't run, but he walks very fast over, grabs the pine cone, puts it in his little bag, and scurries on off. <laughs> there is... Um, Disney World is like this. Like, there's an entire underworld at Disney. I've never done the... Like that's something I would like to do at some point. The not just the behind the scenes, but like the underground behind the scenes tour. Like like Magic Kingdom in Orlando is built. Like, like the streets that you walk on, Main Street USA, where you walk straight up to Cinderella's Castle and whatnot. Yeah. That is not ground level. Ground level is actually a level below that. And there's this like maze of streets and tunnels and whatever else. It's where they keep all the back stock for the stores to immediately restock the shelves. It is where um, all kinds of stuff. It's how they get rid of the trash and you never see trash trucks or anything. Augusta's kind of like that. Now, there's not an entire city underneath the ground, but there are parts of the course that are just not visible and things that happen that are just not visible. Like, they... They built a new merchandise. You know, they used to have Borky, Borky, the infamous merchandise tent. There's no merchandise tent anymore. They now have a merchandise building. And you enter at ground level, but there is an entire floor that is below. And they restock everything from underneath so that you're never out of stock in anything. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, they, they, there's a tunnel that runs underneath Washington Avenue that connects Berkman's 
or Berkman's place to the course, and you can drive trucks underneath that. It's uh, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy setup. You want some NFL coronavirus stats? Uh, sure. 10,000 people on intake, so players and personnel, 170 new positives, 2,840 players on intake, 53 new positives. They have given in total 109,000 tests through Thursday to a positivity rate of 0.46 overall and a 0.18 positivity rate through players. But in those positivity rates includes uh, persistent positives, meaning if a player tested positive, they tested every single day until they were negative. So if, uh, if a player took six days to be negative, all six of those positives counted towards the overall total. So 109,000 tests, 0.46% positivity rate, and that rate's actually much lower when you consider it was one player that got multiple tests on a given team. The Saints, for example, had two players. Both of them combined, you can assume, double-digit amount of positives for those two players. So the league and its players and its coaches, knock on wood, a few weeks into it, have done a phenomenal job of not getting and spreading the virus. Yeah. It's really good. That's what you should expect from professionals, though. That's why the baseball thing is so disappointing. <laughs> Say what you want about there... Roger Goodell. Yeah. There, there is a leadership structure in place in the NFL, and there is no question he is the boss. Yeah, I mean, that's this is your job. Your job is to keep, and part of your job now is to keep yourself and your coworkers healthy. I guess that's part of everybody's job. Yeah, you know that's so. Yeah, Adam, so, Adam Silver in the NBA is he, he employs a collaborative management style. He likes to bring in a lot of opinions and a lot of voices and give the players a voice. But ultimately, he is the boss. And he is the one that sets the protocol. And it's working. National Hockey League is working. Gary Bettman deserves a lot of credit. Was there a 5 OT game yesterday? There was. Oh, man. There was. Um, Major League Baseball got off to such a rocky start, it's almost like it doesn't really matter how it finishes. I, mean, I do think Major League – here's where I'll give Rob Manfred credit. And there's not a lot of credit to be handed out to Rob Manfred right now. But the one place I'll give Rob Manfred credit is he didn't shut it down. I mean, we, we had a we had a stretch there for a week where it felt very precarious for Major League Baseball. And reports saying that, hey, they're close to shutting it down. Yeah. And instead of shutting it down, they ratcheted up – the pressure on the players to do right. And look, I mean, that, that little bench-clearing brawl, that bench-clearing brouhaha, whatever you want to call it, from the A's and the Astros the other day, Lariano got six games. But the coach, the bench coach for the Astros, Centrone, he got 20 games. A 20-game suspension for being the instigator in that. That's a lot. That's a third of this season. 
And and so we had some guys got sent home. Also, broke protocol, send their butt home. Missing a start. Got to go through quarantine procedures before they can rejoin their team. As bad as it was out of the gate, things have tightened up, and it's gotten better for baseball and Rob Manfred. But I don't know that he can ever overcome in the eyes of the public how bad it was out of the gate. Well, I mean, not only that, how bad it was before they got into the gate. You know, with all the labor strife that there was. I mean, I, I'm and not is that maybe the reason that it was so bad out of the gate that they spent so much time trying to figure out yeah. how to play, when to play, who's getting paid, what they're getting paid, that they didn't spend any time really developing the protocols that made sense to protect the league? Very possible. I mean, the fact that it wasn't some kind of negative for the players to go to the, go to the strip club, like there was no written in punishment in the protocols for that, tells you there was at least some kind of major oversight. I mean, in Major League Soccer, who's in a bubble, or the NBA, if one player had to quarantine because he walked past the barrier to make it easier for his food delivery guy. So he just walked a little bit further to go pick up food from his delivery guy, and he had to go into quarantine. That's how strict they were. So they obviously, to your point, thought about that and made the rules as strict as humanly possible to the point where they were quarantining dudes for just crossing the line and picking up food, where baseball players could go to the club, and that was not even a thing that was bad or finable or anything. Jump cut here. Hey, Dad, um, Texas A&M has revealed its new uniforms. Does that mean Mississippi State's also got new uniforms that look exactly like A&M's? Let me, let me see them first. Uh, I would imagine. You uh, Aggie football on Twitter. They have gone back to their, I don't know, like mid-'90s look. No shoulder stripes. Numbers on the outside of the shoulders. Oh, I'm a fan of this. It's look, really good. Look closely, like though. It looks like they're wearing corduroy. It does look a little bit like corduroy. Um, I'm a fan. That looks good. That's, that's sharp. They have uh, big block numbers, Texas A&M across the chest, maroon jerseys with white pants, black, so- black cleats, black socks, and they've gone back to a glossy maroon helmet. Instead of the matte, the matte maroon that they've had in recent years. To me, that's what Texas A&M is supposed to look like. Yeah, that's a sharp look. As far as I know, Mississippi State will still look the same uh, come uh, September 26th. Okay. Mississippi State's made some improvements on its uniforms in recent years that have just jumped it forward light years, though, in my view. Yeah, the the, the big wide shoulder stripe they had, and I guess that was twenty. 12, 2013, not great. The they've gone back to what they sort of their that late nineties look with the M State logo, and that that's been their best uniform so far. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Ceasefire text line. Do you think the canceling of football by Big Ten, Pac twelve, etc., could ultimately alter the structure of the NCAA? That is a big question. It's a short question, but there's a lot there. Kind of touched on this yesterday. It feels like it's not not so much the NCAA as just the structure of college football. Now, the NCAA is a much bigger entity than that. Uh, but it does feel like... I, I, I think I mentioned this on, on my podcast that 
this feels like an opportunity for the American Athletic Conference. What if they just come in and they, you know, could they could they replace the Pac-12? I think the Big Ten doesn't ever lose its place in line. But are we really missing anything if the Pac-12 is cut out? I mean, yeah, Oregon's good, and USC has historically been good, but in the college football playoff era, they got what two appearances so far. I, I just, I just feel like that, that there's a possibility the Pac-12 could lose its place in line. I do like. I mean, so we talk about this in baseball all the time. That baseball is largely a regional sport, and I'm not talking about major league. I'm talking about in college baseball, right? That good baseball is played on the West Coast, but nobody cares about it. Not a ton of baseball is played in the upper Midwest. Not a ton of baseball is played up played in the Northeast. College baseball is a Southeast, Southwest, East Coast sport. And that's one thing that has it, it has hurt college baseball's ability to grow the fan base. Because you don't have the entire country interested interested in it. Now I know the interest in college football is less on the West Coast than it is in the Southeast. I mean, newsflash. But college football is a truly national sport. It's the third most popular sport in the United States. There's the NFL by a long distance, and then the NBA, and then college football. More eyeballs for college football than for Major League Baseball, right, Borky? Right, and the the higher-end college football games typically draw more than your average NBA game. But okay. NBA playoffs and finals, without a doubt, outdraw college football. It just kind of depends on what context you want to apply. But, um, yeah, it, especially when you're talking about the Pac-12, and there's a lot of stuff to do in L.A., but when Southern Cal's not a dumpster fire, they absolutely care. Uh, they do. Oregon and Washington have great facilities, usually field pretty good teams, solid fan bases. It's it's a real national sport, but the conference largely hasn't been all that competitive. I think we're headed in a direction, though, that renders the NCAA obsolete. It's not so much about, to me, uh, coronavirus and the, the two leagues shutting down, although I think, in part, they don't want to admit their players are professionals. I had a a former player actually sent me a direct message that say that I, I was kind of spot on with a tweet that I had earlier about that. Um, but with the name, image, and likeness thing that's coming, what is the point of the NCAA anymore? I think that's what the schools are going to learn. It's not so much about this conference shut down, therefore the other three should leave the NCAA. It's, look, these kids are about to start getting paid. Are we really going to let this entity punish us because a coach sends a direct message to a recruit two days before signing day? I mean, is that really what we're going to do is let them, while our kid is signing an endorsement deal with a car dealership, tell us when we can and cannot contact recruits? Are we going to do that? No. I think that's what's going to happen, is the compensation piece is changing, and especially the Power Five is going to realize that our guys do have some value. They're going to get some money. Why do we need that organization anymore? And that's where I think it's going to come from. You can tell me that this is, no, Richard, you're wrong. You're wrong, Richard. You're wrong. You're wrong. There were two leagues 
that put out demand letters. Pac-12 and the Big Ten. You know which leagues have shut down football this fall? I have to, if I remember correctly, is it the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? That sounds correct. Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe it's not. We we know we we've seen statements from players in the SEC and the ACC and the Big Twelve. They care about player safety. Obviously, those guys want to see name, image, likeness continue to move forward. But they didn't band together and put out statements. What was it? We are united, and yeah, it's Pac-12 did. Conference, we want you to split half the revenue with us. Big Ten didn't ask for that. They just asked for some pretty stringent COVID protections. Neither of those leagues are playing. And they didn't wait long to decide not to play. Just saying. Sports Talk Mississippi with you rolling into the 5 o'clock hour, middle of the week this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. We're going to jump straight to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, to uh, to visit with our good friend Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. You can read his work online at sportingnews.com. A lot of good stuff there. And, uh, Bill, you're not usually too over-the-top or too reactionary. You're fairly measured, uh, and I mean that as a compliment. So I am curious, your reaction to the news of the last 48, 72, 96 hours in what has been a whirlwind of news for college football. Yeah, I'm about to open this bottle of the leave that I haven't got to today. I mean, it's just been a whirlwind, a lot of news. Um I'm not shocked by anything. I'm really not. I'm not shocked that the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled. I, I think the Big Ten mishandled getting the news out pretty badly. And then I'm not shocked that the SEC and the Big Ten, 12 and the ACC are pressing forward. Now, picking up the pieces is the interesting part. Now you're seeing some of those, and that's what I've been able to write about over the last couple of days. You, you said you were picking up a bottle, and then you said a leave. I thought you were going a different direction with that, which yeah. would have probably been understandable as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now you know I like to stay sharp during these times, and, and you know it's just been a couple interesting things. Um, you know, in the Big Ten in particular, and I've been telling people this over and over again the last two days. I mean, nobody lost more than Ohio State. I mean, that was a national championship contender with a Heisman finalist, a loaded team, big roster. Um, you know, and Ryan Day talked today about that. So I've been jumping between Zoom calls too. I mean, it is Wednesday, correct? Is that what day we're on? That is correct. It is Wednesday. Okay, so I got that right. All right, so let me get the kind of tinfoil hat thing out of the way. And and I just kind of stumbled upon this a, a few minutes ago, and you, you may think I'm crazy for even making this connection. We had the Pac-12 players come out with the whole We Are United thing, and some of their demands were ridiculous. Some of them made sense, but some of them were just completely ridiculous and were non-starters. The Big Ten players put out a more measured version of that where they didn't ask for a revenue split, but they wanted some pretty significant uh, concessions from the Big Ten in terms of player safety and COVID you know, testing and whatnot. 
Those are the only two leagues that had players band together and put statements out like that, and those are the two leagues that are not playing. Is that coincidence? Not really. I mean, maybe they got to address those players' needs, too, before they were going to put them out on the field. I think one of the – Richard, one of the things that was kind of a giveaway to me, too, was the Big Ten had star players opting out. Not not just guys. Like Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, and Michael Parsons, those are first-round picks. Yeah. And when they were opting out, I'm thinking – well, you're not seeing that in the SEC. You saw an Auburn player and a couple others, but you're not seeing it from the contenders. And you're not seeing that in the ACC from the from the big dogs. I mean, a player here or two, like I said. So that kind of clued me in that maybe maybe they were on to something. Now, what we look at next, and I talked to Bill Hancock about it this morning, is so is the playoff legitimate now with three conferences? Now, he wouldn't commit to say yes or no. Uh, he said I'm shocked that he wouldn't commit. Have- <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked that Bill, who is, I mean, the ultimate company man, he's not committing to anything. Greatest guy ever, not committing to anything. Bill, Bill's smart, and he's been a journalist, and we, you play cat and mouse games with him. He's very good at his job. and he. But he said hopeful, and hopeful isn't a yes, and it's not a no. But it's a, uh, I, I brought up the point to him. I said, hey, a couple years ago, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Clemson played a playoff, and it was just fine. And produced one of the best finishes probably in playoff history that we'll ever see, and um, they can do it. So the the question now is, what is the Big Ten and Pac-12 do? And I know one of the big topics up here in Big Ten country right now is the viability, feasibility, logistics of a spring season. Can can that work? I mean, we got former players and coaches all over the place. And I know Ryan Day was talking today about, you know, got to get it going in January, got to be done by April. That gives you a chance, a compressed schedule. But most players and coaches are saying you can't do that. You can't play two seasons in one calendar year in the sport of football. Be tough. Be 20 games probably. For an Ohio State player, it might be 22-ish, depending on what they do the following season. So I, I think it's a big question i mean and they would potentially still be competing with covid i'm just saying uh, you know from listening to ryan day and i was in on that zoom call i think i've been on a bunch of those the last three days um that it's feasible in that regard and and the way i would do it if they do it is okay play your six division opponents play big 10 championship if they want to do a spring championship between the pac-12 and the big 10 that'd be something but um it's got to be done. Ryan Day's on to something. If they're going to do it, they better start playing it now. Otherwise, you you end up with the situation we're in now with college football in general where it really did turn into the Wild West between five conferences. There's no question that there were huge shoes to fill when Jim Delaney stepped aside. I mean, you know, arguably along with – whoever the commissioner was of the SEC at the time. I guess when when Mike Sly was in power, you could say those were the two most powerful men in college football. When Mike Sly retired, it probably became de facto Jim Delaney by himself. Has Kevin Warren shown in the last couple of weeks that he was not ready to fill that role? Well, I just think the way it came out, right? And People would be cursing Jim Delaney if the Big Ten canceled football and he was commissioner, too. Difference is, I think if they really did make that decision Sunday, which was reported, why would you give 48 hours for Ohio State to tee off on you, for Michigan, for Jim Harbaugh to come up? Jim Harbaugh, 
I didn't think anything he said was wrong for as much as we criticize him. I mean, he, he laid it out there. This is what we've done. Uh, Penn State made a statement. And then, of course, now you have what well, could be a developing rift with one of your members in Nebraska. Because Scott Frost, yeah. they went all in. <laughs> and, and that's been the, what, the biggest talking point the last two days in the Big Ten is, you know, when Kevin Warren says, okay, they can play, but not as a member of the Big Ten Conference. And now Nebraska, who's only been in that league for nine years, says, well, you got to wonder what that what their motivation is for the way they're acting, if you know what I mean. Well, and the thing is, it's not just Scott Frost that went all in. The, the statement that they released yesterday was from the, the chancellor, the university system president, the AD, and Scott Frost. That was a very unified front from Nebraska. Yeah, a senator in there, too. So, uh, Oh, that's right. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, they, they had a little bit of everything. So that's an interesting development worth watching because I know, and I know you, you guys do this in the SEC too with, you know, you probably, I, I'm guessing Ole Miss and Mississippi State fans look at Mizzou a little bit differently than everybody else because they're yes. the new kid, right? You look at, at But that, not Texas and then, A&M. Texas a, do you even consider Texas A&M an SEC school? Be honest. Absolutely. See, I mean, they've got a little more weight than what about Missouri? No, no. I mean, that, that, that's what I was saying is everybody looks at Missouri differently and nobody looks at Texas A&M differently. They I mean, fit from day weird. one. Well, I always tell people with Big Ten, and this is just strict, this is taking off the journalist hat and as a kid that grew up with this conference and, and you know, watch Penn State come in in the 90s, and Penn State's still somewhat treated like an outsider, if you believe that or not. But hmm. if you could trade in Big Ten, if you could trade three or four out of Nebraska, Penn State, Maryland, and Rutgers, and you got Notre Dame in return, I think every Big Ten fan would take that. You saw what Desmond Howard said today on uh, Get Up. I mean, he, he lashed out at Nebraska, too, and said they don't have Notre Dame's cachet. And that's just from growing up watching Notre Dame play Michigan State, Michigan, Purdue, and Ohio State, knowing the generate the excitement that was generated off those games, and Notre Dame in some ways might have the last laugh if the ACC ends up playing. It truly really is wild times. Does it bother people that the Notre, that Notre Dame is aligned with the ACC, and not the Big Ten? In this part of the country, absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I assume the answer was yes. I mean, yeah, it's just Notre Dame. It's you know what, but good for them. I think. They found a way to get in, and I would said all along, and probably on your show as well, that I didn't think there would be a season that Notre Dame wouldn't try to get their hands on. With that NBC TV money and the way they were able to craft that partnership with the ACC, it was kind of genius yeah. in some ways. And if it worked yeah, it really out for one year, great. The ACC plays, and Notre Dame's out there competing with Clemson and North Carolina, and well, that's probably about it for in terms of teams that can actually win that conference. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, Notre Dame being a part of the season in the Big Ten not, and just growing up in a part, you know, if you grow up in Ohio, PA, Michigan, there's a lot of Notre Dame fans because there's a lot of Catholic schools up here. And I went yeah. to one, so I know exactly how that goes. Hey, 30 seconds, and, and a lot of people have pointed this out. Have you ever seen the Big Ten divided like it is right now? I mean, I felt like under Jim Delaney, everybody marched to the beat of Jim Delaney as the drummer, and right now it just feels fractured. A little bit, and it'll be fracked. I mean, the biggest risk for backfire is if you guys are playing down in Oxford and Tuscaloosa and Starkville, and they got to watch that in Columbus and Ann Arbor and Madison and Iowa City, all those places that love their Big Ten football just as much as you guys love it down there, 
yep. going to hurt for a long time. And I think that's the biggest lesson we learned yesterday. Follow Bill Bender on Twitter at BillBender92. He writes as the Sporting News National College football writer and uh, frequent guest here. Bill, always appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed the conversation with Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Always brings good insight into what's going on in college football all over the country. Time right now for the college football fix. College Football Fix is brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. The summer sales event is going on right now. That means great savings on the full lineup of Ford SUVs. And don't forget, you can test drive the F-150. It's the best-selling truck in America for 43 consecutive years. Saw this just uh, a bit ago. The University of Oklahoma... Man, the Big 12 wasted no time, right? I mean, the, all the talk yesterday was Big 12 on the fence, Big 12 on the fence, Big 12 on the fence. But when they voted last night to move forward, they have absolutely moved forward. They released their schedule with dates this morning. And this afternoon, Oklahoma puts this release out. Oklahoma began reaching out to season ticket holders today to gauge their intentions for attending games in the 2020 season. The department currently projects that it will reduce capacity at Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium to approximately 25%. Joe Castiglione, who has the reputation for being one of the best athletics directors in the country, said, this is the next step in our preparation efforts. But it is by no means the only step. We have been and will continue working on protocols that will be in place for our student-athletes, staff, and patrons. Tip to Augusta National there. Capacity reduction will allow us to create distancing in the seating bowl, Other policies in the stadium will be introduced as we alter our operations as a result of COVID-19. Emails will go out today to season ticket holders to ascertain their ticket needs for the upcoming season, which will include 10 regular season games, five in Norman. To me, this is the most interesting part. The athletics department in the coming days will announce additional information related to the upcoming season. Stadium procedures have been developed to meet fans' needs from driveway to driveway according to Castiglione. The department will unveil a new app just prior to the season. It will contain an extensive list of services, including digital ticketing, parking assistance, a digital game program, and an interface with stadium concessions to allow fans to order in advance and then pick up their concession items at designated locations. Video and web page will also be available to help supporters prepare for their in-person fan experience. It's going to be on the school's athletic department. So Oklahoma is going to launch an app right before the season starts that will include digital ticketing, parking assistance, a digital game program, and concession point of sale with pre-set locations where you can pick up your food. Yeah, there are a lot of restaurants during the curbside pickup window of kind of returning from everybody being shut down that went with this. They went to online ordering. You paid online. 
and then you were given a number or your name was attached to your order or whatever, and you pick that up in a certain spot. And we've asked the question, I mean, how are you going to do concession stands in the stadiums where people go stand in line? Well, maybe this is the answer. Will this be coming to Mississippi State and to Ole Miss and to Southern Miss? Where you order your concessions online. You want a popcorn and a Coke and a pickle. They still sell pickles at games? Gross. Like a whole pickle? They do still. They've got them in the vending machines here at the office. And sometimes, like, the the stack of them gets less. And I want to know who's buying the, the bagged pickle out of the vending machine. Somebody Remember the old skating rink days as a kid, hey, Dad, where you could get a pickle. Yeah, I mean, you can still you can still get a pickle. I, I I know at baseball games. I don't know about football. Okay. Yeah, maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Hot dog, popcorn. I wouldn't be surprised if they got rid of nachos this year. Kind of went to prepackaged on everything. They get a hot dog, some popcorn, well, cracker jacks, nachos even, and a coke. A nachos, bottle of coke. You can get a uh, a prepackaged cheese sauce and a prepackaged bag of chips and hand it to them. Okay, there you go. But you just order that from an app, pay for it, right there from your seat. It tells you that it'll be ready in 12 minutes, and you go to a certain spot in the stadium to pick yours up. And I'm sure there'll be you know stickers on the ground that are six feet apart, and you got to have a mask on and all that good stuff. Wait, so you're telling me that, in fact, college athletic departments um, consulted with really smart people to make well-thought-out plans to try to put the season on safely and have a safe environment for their fans? You mean to tell me that they're doing that? Here's what I'm telling you. I think the, the, the college athletics departments that are run well have been working their rear ends off for at least the last two, three, four months. I know everybody kind of went through a shutdown. It was work from home, and I don't know how productive that time was. You know, a lot of Zoom meetings. But over the last couple of months, in preparation for the start of the new season, the athletics departments and, you know, working in conjunction with marketing and ticketing and fundraising and external relations and internal relations and your concessionaire have been working their rear ends off in preparation for whatever this year is going to look like. And it's been a moving target. In a lot of ways, you you knew that you were preparing for something that might not happen. Or it might happen at 50% capacity, or might happen at 25% capacity. I mean, it feels like that's what we're headed for in the state of Mississippi. Same thing that Oklahoma's doing, 25% capacity. Somewhere between, well, what, basically 15,000 fans at Mississippi State and at Ole Miss. Probably about eight to 9,000 fans at Southern Miss. Spread them out. There are going to be people that are disappointed. I had a friend of mine tell me not too long ago, he's a, a season ticket holder at Ole Miss. He's got premium seats. And said... I'm really contemplating giving up my season tickets as long as I don't lose them long-term for the greater good of Oxford. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, I live here. We need people from out of town coming into town to go to games. It's an interesting uh, philosophy. 
And he says, I would sacrifice going to the games myself for the entire season, watching them on TV, whatever, so that the five seats that my family has can go to somebody from Jackson or the coast or Nashville or Atlanta or Houston that is going to come into town and they're going to spend money while they're here so that it helps our local hotels and our local restaurants. He said, I'm going to eat out at local restaurants regardless, but I can do that on a Tuesday night. I thought, wow, that's interesting thinking. Now you'll have a lot of people that won't go about it that way. Robert in Tupelo says, why not deliver concessions? Well, you have that in some premium areas, but I think the issue is trying to deliver concessions for 15,000 people. Not sure you can staff that in a cost-effective way. Shane and Ripley says, my father-in-law has season tickets for Ole Miss, and they decided on how it will work this year. They may have made some decisions internally, but nothing that they've released yet. David and Indianola, if they do app ordering, they should let the management from Chick-fil-A organize it. (laughs) If if that can be as efficient as the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A, then you might be on to something. Yes. I wonder... Every other... Go ahead. No, all you. Uh, Every other fast food place in the world should be ashamed of themselves because if Chick-fil-A can do what they do, which is you can be in line that goes out through the parking lot and be on your way home in 10 minutes, everybody can do it. David and Socher says drinking pickle juice is best for dehydration. That's what I was trying to say. You get a cramp, shoot yeah. down some pickle juice. Not me, but other people. I wonder if they've had any conversations with NASCAR. Because if you remember, the All-Star race had fans at it. 30,000 of them, bigger venue, but still. And you have not heard one single thing about anything being traced back to attending the race that day. No, you're right. Uh, I do know at the SEC level that, yes, they have talked with officials from NASCAR. They are in constant communication with NFL officials. They have talked with people at Major League Baseball. They have talked with people at the PGA Tour. They have talked with people at the NBA. They've obviously had conversations with lots of other conferences. I don't know if they've reached out and talked to the folks at MLS about how they're doing it. But, yeah, they, they have been trying to gather best practices from everybody that's going through a restart. Hogman, wondering if visiting teams will get any of the 25% ticket sales. Seems unlikely. No. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I mean, there will be an allotment for, you know, player family and whatnot, but I would not think that most schools would be allotting tickets to visiting fans. I don't think. All right, Hogman, you ask a question, I've got you an answer. Hogman was wondering about the possibility of visiting uh, fans at uh, home stadiums for SEC games with limited capacity, and the answer is 500. Schools are going to allot 500 tickets for player families, personnel from the, uh, the other school, Whatever. I mean, I, I guess if a school wanted to bring, I don't know, I'm just completely speaking out of left field here. I, I don't know the answer to this. I guess if a visiting team wanted to bring 100 members of a pep band, theoretically they could. 
but that would count in their allotment of tickets. Yeah, which it already does, but, you know, the allotment Yeah, no, no, exactly. 5,000 and not 500 or yeah. whatever. So, um, this whole thing's still precarious now. I, I think kind of across the board, talked to a bunch of people on Friday night and over the weekend that were basically ready to just say, it's just not going to happen. Just too many moving parts, too many variables, not going to be able to pull it off. And those same people still are concerned because the variables are no fewer and there are no fewer moving parts. But there is a very cautious, very cautious optimism Certainly an optimism that did not exist five days ago that does exist now. And a lot can happen between now and the 26th of September. Both good, both bad and good. For example, uh, we just found out that Tom Brady and the Bucks season opener in New Orleans uh, will be without fans. But they did make it a point to mention that they like where the trends are headed, so this isn't a season-wide thing, but we can't commit to it for the season opener, but things are looking better, and down the road maybe we can get to a point where they're allowed in. Announcement just comes from the NCAA, one of those blue-black background announcements. And you know what it does? It answers one question and creates 73 more. The Division I Council recommended the Division I Board of Directors provide fall sports student-athletes who compete and then opt out of future participation or have a season cut short due to COVID-19, one, an extension of their five-year period of eligibility, and two, an additional season of competition if they participate in 50% or less of the maximum number of competitions allowed in each sport by Division One rules. So I guess the maximum number of competitions in college football is 15? In a, in a total season, if you play for the national championship, yes, 15. So seven or fewer. I, I mean, maybe that maybe that pertains to the regular season. Not entirely sure. So this was expected from the NCAA. It's probably the right move. If you opt out or your season is cut short, then you can get an extension on your five-year period of eligibility and. You can pick up an additional season of competition if you participated in 50% or fewer of the games. What it doesn't answer, what it doesn't address, and this is a big question about roster sizes, scholarship limits. Right now, 85 scholarships is the maximum number at the Division I level. 25 scholarships in a signing class. If you're not able to play an entire season and you grant an extra year of eligibility, 
and you extend that five-year period to six, and you count in attrition and guys leaving for the NFL and whatnot, and you sign a full signing class, you bring in a full 25 for the signing class next year, 85, that math does not work. So you're going to go 15 additional spots to get you to 100? You're going to do what Cole Kubelik suggested yesterday, where you you know, you know have to allot for a full signing class because attrition doesn't always work the way you think it's going to work? And so your roster size goes to 110? And when do you shrink that number back? Because you can't just say, okay, for 2021, we'll allow 110 people on the roster. No, but you did a full... It, it's just... And then what do you this do to the conferences that potentially get to play a season? Um, because one way or the other, somebody gets, for lack of a better term, somebody gets screwed here. It could be that the Big Ten would have to find a way to cut their roster down to 85 and maybe like not sign a full recruiting class, and that stings for them. But also, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 could play a season with 20 fewer guys than their Pac-12 and Big Ten counterpart to no fault of their own. What about economic impact? All right, so so every, you know, to, to some degree, every athletics department in the country is dealing with financial issues right now. What if you just tell them they've got to fund 20 more scholarships? At... 40000 a pop. And you know it's more than that. Well, you know what I always say about that, though. You're just taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other. It's just the school paying the school. You know, I, I really don't... I always have trouble talking about funding for scholarships. Now, I get trying to add them to non-revenue sports, but for football, they could, they could fund 20 more scholarships without really having to... They, they can, and they will, but... That, while, yes, it's pulling money out of one pocket and putting it into another, the athletic department has to pay the university for those slots. I mean, I get that. But at the same time. I mean, this like falls in line with the idea of you, you keep going back to, well, I just dig, dig into the endowment. And my point remains that if somebody in power wants to make changes, they'll get made. <laughs> That's not the way it works. I mean, you're just going to make me keep beating my head against the wall but when I tell not... you there are rules, like stringent rules in place on how and endowment they, money can and be if used. enough powerful people want those rules changed, they'll be changed tomorrow. Just takes one person who said, "Hey, that that hundred million dollars I gave you for the architecture department, you know what? Send it over to athletics. It's done. It's not even difficult." Jason says, "Is anybody worried that the NCAA will cancel everything, regardless of how things look or develop at the last moment?" They, they cannot cancel Division One college football. They can do everything else. Can't do Division One college football. 
I have a friend whose wife has worked in university foundations at multiple schools in the SEC and in private business, and he just sent me a message. He said, please tell Hey Dad, it doesn't work that way with endowments. You can't just move the money. It just I doesn't. You could, I didn't say you can't just move the money. I said they can change the rules about how the money is moved. And if you don't agree with that, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, it's not a law that we just get a $1,200 check every year, but we sure got one this year. Why? Because the people in power decided to do that. Maybe not Borky, but everybody else. I got it eventually after <laughs> I threw away eventually. the first one. But my point is this. People in power can change rules. And if the if the athletic department and the administration of the university and the boosters themselves come together and say, we need to do this to save our athletic department, it will happen. It will happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it has to happen, but it can happen if the right people want to make changes. I don't see why that's such a hard concept to grasp, that powerful people can change the rules as they go. It happens every day in this country, literally. But you're dealing with banking and accounting and finance rules and life estates and donations that were set up over long periods of time, yeah. and, and all of that, can, a, a lawyer can get you can get on and get taken care of. <laughs> it can be done. It, you can't convince me that it can't be done. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's like saying, "Hey, Dad, the sky is blue," and you're saying. Yes, but it could be red, and you hey, can't convince me otherwise. If God wanted it to be red, he'd just have to snap his fingers. It would be red right now. Well, the earth is flat already, so. Yeah, that's true. True story. It's on a turtle's back. I just don't, I just don't understand why there's this disbelief that powerful people can't change the rules. I mean, it's mind-boggling that you think that. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.